guys, welcome back to the Water to Water podcast with Chrislyn and Kevin James. And as you can see again, folks, Chrislyn isn't here. And since she is such an integral part to the podcast, I just couldn't have one person. I had to recruit two people to come and help me. Two people. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome back my brothers, uh, Mervyn Shah and Edwin, uh, to this episode to this podcast uh, and again uh thank you guys for spending some time with us uh talking about baptism uh in the last episode we spoke about leaving the Martha my church uh, i do recommend that you guys go check it out before you uh listen to this episode but again this is a stat this can be a standalone episode as well and in this episode uh we'll be focusing on the main reason why we left the Martha my church and that's baptism Okay. Uh, baptism was a spark that led to our whole family, the three of us and our parents, to leave the uh, Martha Church. I liken it to the spark of World War I when Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. Quite similar like that. Baptism was similar to that. And uh, FYI, when we speak about baptism in this episode, we mean uh, believer's baptism. And again, we'll get into the nitty gritty about that. We aren't here to play games with you. We aren't here to be like, oh yeah, this might be one way. This might be the other way. We are definitely saying there is only one way. Okay. We're definitely saying that infant baptism is illogical. It doesn't make sense. And uh, believer's baptism is the way to go. So we're being quite frank and honest with all of you right now. So uh, with that goal in mind, uh, let me ask the first question to Edwin. Uh, what would you say is the difference between infant baptism and believer's baptism? Yeah. Uh, so if we were to begin, I would first start off by talking about infant baptism. So usually it's normally a vicar or a priest um, that will go to the godparents or real parents of the child. And uh, they'll make the, the, the parents understand that the child has to now be brought in um, up in the Christian faith. The child will then be sprinkled with water to represent that the child is now part of the family of God. Um, on the other hand, believer's baptism is an outward sign that the person has willingly chosen and turned to Christ. Um, in the believer's baptism, it's a completely different uh, thing that happens where water is a symbol that Christ has washed away the sins uh, by his death on the cross. Uh, the person is submerged into the pool and that represents the death that Christ has died for us. Uh, then rising of the water represents the washing away of sins. And hence we say born again uh, because of the work of Christ basically completed for us. Um, it is uh, mainly just an action to show to the world, you know, we are choosing to follow Christ. Uh, basically infant baptism is a sacrament, it's like a religious ceremony, whilst believer's baptism is an ordinance, it's an, it's an authoritative order from Jesus Christ to uh, his uh, children. Thank you for the explanation, Edwin, on that uh, front. Now, I just want to delve deeper into the word baptism and what exactly it means. Uh, the word baptism comes from the Greek word bapto, and this word basically means to immerse or to dunk. That's what it means. <laughs> Uh, kind of like how you dunk an Oreo into milk before you eat it. That's exactly uh, what it means. Another word that is used is baptizo. Basically means to be immersed or dunked or co completely submerged. Uh, there is no space for confusion here. In the Bible, anytime the word baptism is mentioned, they mean the submersion. For example, in Acts chapter 8, verses 36 to 38. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? That baptized basically means what's standing in the way of me being submerged in the name of Jesus. Uh, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. There we can see what happens. The eunuch is going into the water, getting baptized, getting dunked, and then coming out of the water. 
So the term bapto or baptizo is quite clear. Uh, the method that is prescribed when carrying out baptism is quite clear as well. You need to be submerged in the water. You have to get into the water. Uh, to labor on the point, what happens in infant baptism is sometimes pouring of the water onto the head of the baby or sprinkling. Uh, sprinkling, the word is rantizo, okay? And that's not at all a word that comes up here. And so uh, it's not even the same thing, okay? Now, uh, Edmund kind of spoke about this. I don't know if Mohamed, you want to come into it as well. Uh, who can technically get baptized according to the Bible? This is where we couldn't stay in the Mahatma church because we disagreed with it. It's because we believe, and we believe then and we believe now, it's someone who can um, understand, repent, and become a child of God that can be baptized, which means someone has to have some level of understanding of their sinful nature, the need for repentance, the need for salvation, and then after that, they can look forward to this physical water baptism. You mentioned when someone can say, is there an age limit on what age they can? Is there an age where they say you have to be 12 before you get baptized? There isn't an age limit. I, let's say in one sentence, there isn't. But obviously, we, we want to know if someone comes to the pastor or whomever to say, I think I need to be get baptized. Obviously, the pastor or whoever, the responsible elder, will speak to them and find out why it is that the individual feels that way. Obviously, because it's an individual's choice to getting baptized. It's their recognition. It's them having to that. So they could be maybe 10 years, maybe 11, 12. Maybe they probably get baptized at the age of 60 because they haven't come to that understanding yet. Okay. Uh, the point... I hope that even from Mervich's answer and from speaking to Edwin, that everyone who's listening to us will realize this, is that we're not saying uh, baptism is for adults, okay? Theoretically, if a two-year-old could say all the things I've just said, it's highly improbable, but God can work miracles. He's a God of miracles. If a two-year-old could say those things and they can say that, yeah, I need Jesus, I confess, then we are at no uh, we have no authority or right to say okay. uh, to stop them from getting baptized. We have absolutely no right to stop uh, to stop them, but they have to uh, believe. Okay. And uh, another question is: Well, some people might be on the side of why should we get baptized at all? And Edwin kind of answered this. He said it's because it's ordained by God. It's been commanded by God uh, by Jesus specifically in the Great Commissions, Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verses nineteen. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples the following, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, we see the order there from Jesus, right? Jesus says the order. He says, make them a disciple. And so they should, to be a disciple, you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus and then baptize them. So the order is quite clear in the scripture there. And... Uh, again, Edwin kind of mentioned it as well. I'm just going to reiterate it. What is water baptism? It is a physical profession of a change which already took place in the heart of the individual. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 21. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Water baptism shows that the Christian is identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, 3 to 5, Colossians 2 to 12. I'll read both of them out for you. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. Or oh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Uh, Colossians 2.12 Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the analogy you've got is just like what Edwin said. When you're plunged into the water, it's like you're being buried with Christ. And then when you come out of the water, you're being raised in the new life. And again, uh, just to clarify the water itself has no magical properties it's not holy water there's nothing else happening to it it's just 
uh, normal water. Can I ask the ask the the panel? Uh, does baptism save? No, absolutely not. Okay, no. so let me create a hypothetical situation. Someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus, right? And then uh, before they can get baptized, they accept Jesus as a savior. You know, they do all the things. On their way to get baptized, they get run over by a bus. Are they saved or not, Edwin? They are saved. Okay. Merminger? Yeah, they are saved. Yeah. Can Absolutely. you give me an example from the Bible where that's happened? Um, the quickest and easiest example, obviously, is the man on the cross, the one who believed in Jesus. Yeah. Um, he probably didn't understand the depth of the Christian doctrine we discuss in we've discussed in the previous doctrine here. But he knew that Jesus wasn't meant to die there. And all he said to uh, Jesus is, remember me, Lord, when you come yep. into your kingdom. But uh, yeah, that's incredible. I wish I was that man. It's so easy. And I think, um, I, I don't know if I'm right in saying this, but if you think about it, he didn't need to get baptized because he was crucified as well. <laughs> into death at that yeah. whole point. He did the actual death part uh, in essence, yeah. after giving his life to Jesus. A baptism is a, a visible testimony of the faith that we have inside, right? It's a, a visible testimony. Okay. I just want to add the point of, you know, when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, even though they were circumcised, he called them whitewashed empty tombs. Um, and also there's a part in scripture, Matthew 7, 21 to 27, it says, he will call them workers of iniquity. You know, we all, there are going to be people in the world who say, you know, Lord, Lord, when I was baptized when I was, you know, a kid. Surely I should be part of the uh, your family. And, and God will say, no, I do not know you. You are workers of iniquity. I have never known you. They have never known you. There you go. I mean, scripture clearly points out that baptism is not what saves you. Mm. Believing in Christ Jesus, who died for your sins. I mean, and because of Christ, it's all because of God and what he's done for us. That's the only reason you're being saved. Not because of an act. Uh, that's all I've got to say. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, we'll move on to the next point then. Uh, so, folks, what I did was I uh, posted on social media uh, asking uh, infant baptizers to get back to me on why they think infant baptism is an okay thing to do. And I got a few responses. Some of these questions I've already thought of, and some of these are directly from uh, the people themselves. So we'll do it in that way. This is from one uh, Chechi. Baptism is needed to enter the heaven, and we don't know our child's future. What happens if our child dies before reaching matured age to confess? We don't want heaven to be denied for them for not taking baptism. Okay, so uh, in essence, because of the Christian doctrine of original sin, the idea that uh, all humans are born in sin, uh, Romans chapter 3 says, uh, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one that does good, no, not one. And so if the baby is born, and that's what the Cheshi was saying, if the baby is born in sin, uh, the reason why we do baptism is to save them from that sin. And that's why uh, we need to carry it out. And we already kind of discussed about how baptism doesn't save. But Mohamed, do you want to talk about that idea of original sin and get into it? Yeah, before I um, start off with a response to original sin, I'll just uh, put a couple of verses and then a couple of points. Um, so a couple of points, um, verses that the infant Baptists usually go to uh, for their need, they say, for baptism is, uh, surely I was sinful from birth. Um, in Psalms 51, he even says, I was conceived in, in sin um, as an indi indication that infants are sinful, are therefore need forgiveness, so that they too might have salvation. Uh, Romans 3.23, um, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, not only that, there's a couple of the points I want to say, uh, mostly in our Indian subcontinent. Um, you know, uh, especially because majority of Indian are um, Hindus, um, and it's quite easy to know most people speak about karma and stuff. They also believe even before they have a baby, after the baby is born, it's quite easy to see. It's quite easily seen in 
most um, in, uh, Indian uh, cinema or uh, TV series and stuff, they have all these pujas when people have died so that their spirit can whatever. So there's this idea they have also of this kind of um, karmic um, continuation of sin or their rectification they need to do of a past life or whatever. So that's prevalent as well. And also, um, we touched on this before, um, that um, baptism uh, doesn't save. Although there are obviously churches, um, even though they explicitly might not teach it, but because of how the uh, practices and traditions kind of confer to people that, oh, actually, this is pro likely necessary for my child to be saved. Um, the issue that brought for infant baptism, obviously, was the salvation of the little ones. Parents came to the ministers and asked them, what guarantee is there for my child that they don't go to hell? Um, the question raised comes from the parents from a good place. Now, all the Bible-believing parents want their children to be saved. There is no exception to that rule. Um, and so it's a very heavy heart they approach, uh, and they ask these questions to these ministers. And everyone agrees that children need salvation. And so infant baptizers push the point a step further, arguing that if infants need salvation, then surely God would create a way to make the, that possible. Now, infant uh, baptized does also claim, aha, if children need salvation, and in Acts 22.16, it says, Arise and be baptized and washed away thy sins. Surely we can wash away the sins of the kids by carrying out infant baptism. Well, actually, if you look at the whole of Acts 22, uh, Paul is saying the story that had happened to him when he was saved and actually said, and now what are you waiting for? This is verse 16. Get up be baptized and wash away sins, calling on his name. Clearly, there's a call uh, on his name. No child can call on the name of the Lord. And that's not the cross of the matter. And so there's this is how that infant baptism has entered the church, not by the studying of the word, but rather to keep the mind of the parents at ease. Now that the immediate question is, well, if ba babies aren't baptized, do they go to hell? You've got thousands of babies that haven't been baptized. What about all of them? Are they all destined to the hellfire? So I want to interject a point before I continue with the rest of what I was saying is that often, and mm, not just our church, most churches have the song, and it's sung every week or every other week. It's called The Good, Good Father. Now I've heard people who sing that song who uh, probably are not practicing Christians themselves, but they've heard the song because it's a good song. And I'd like to put a point towards you listeners. What do you think a good father would do if in his infinite wisdom and infinite understanding and his, he, his son that gave his, that complete sacrifice to all who believed would a child that has not come to the recognition of their status. We call it innocence. A child that is innocent, would that child not be covered under that salvation? It's a simple question. Because let's, let, let's bring, let me bring up the point. It's not just children, if you're talking about, because the way we, these parents that are bringing up the infant baptism point to the ministers are saying is, Obviously, they're little, they can't understand. We want to get them baptized as quickly as possible so that we don't know how long they will live. That's the clear point, you know. But think of the other people who can't come to the understanding. It doesn't take them five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. I'm talking about people who are mentally challenged or have other incapabilities that they cannot reach to the understanding. They don't have that understanding of their spiritual self. And you know this because when you meet them, they're innocent. See, when you meet these people uh, and people who are not up to our standards, you could say, they might be uh, shouting, crying, causing a scene or doing this or that. But you know they're innocent. Why do you know they're innocent? Because they cannot 
understand how they are. They cannot fathom, they cannot respond to or come to the understanding of, oh, I need to stop doing this or I need to, because they are in that place of understanding where they cannot go any further. So I said earlier that kids, we've said this before, that baptism doesn't save. We know that uh, we are conceived in sin. At least this is what um, David is speaking. Now I would say um, that uh, the sinful nature that we've inherited from Adam, the first man, um, it actually doesn't leave us as a sinful person. In, in, in other terms, we're spiritually dead. It means that unless God comes to us, fulfills in us with the Holy Spirit, we're dead. We can't, there's, nothing, there's nothing we can do that, to produce the good deeds to get us to salvation or to get us to heaven. It is God's Holy Spirit and the sacrifice of Jesus that spiritually makes us a born again, which is where the born again terms come. So my point is all these children, let's disregard the children, uh, Christian children by themselves. There are millions of children, millions and millions, millions of children who grow up every year. I don't know what the statistics is or how far, how many of them survive or how long. but. I can, I can know for sure that these are innocent. Like we can say that if they haven't come to understanding of sin or that nature, we know they're innocent. And not just that, you can think of all the children, even now, it's, a, it's prevalent in our society. Um, children who are aborted. And people, okay, let's take abortion and that topic about how many physically the parents kill the children and others who unfortunately uh, nothing in their power lose their children now we know from these verses i'll read them up now in jeremiah 1 the lord came to me bef saying before i formed you in the womb i knew you before you were born i consecrated you and I pointed you a, a prophet to the nations now i understand this is specifically for jeremiah but do you not think a good father, a God who we believe sent his son for our salvation, do you not think that he will think he's thinking, oh, let's get these children baptized so that they can have a salvation? No, obviously not. Because if he's a good God, if he's a just God, and we believe that he is, why would he set that standard? Because he knows. Clearly, he's given us the Bible. There's no one in the Bible that says that children need to be baptized. If not, our God, you know what? Our God is very meticulous when it comes to certain things. It's quite clear in the Old Testament because he gave 613 laws that needed to be followed. Obviously, the Jewish people had added a lot of other things extra biblical. But if it did, if there was a verse that said, as soon as the baby is born, just like it says circumcision, Eighth day, the child is circumcised. There's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus or the Holy Spirit says, on the eighth day, baptize the child. We'll get to baptism and circumcision in a minute. Stay, stay to the, uh, we will get that, yeah. that in a minute, yeah. So, this good God, who in his infinite wisdom, is speaking to Jeremiah, and he says to him, I knew you before you were formed. Can you think of that? And you think about all these people, all these children who haven't reached the spiritual maturity to understand and to acknowledge who Jesus is and come to the understanding. Do you think it matters whether that child got baptized or not? It's irrelevant. I think it's irrelevant because my Jesus' sacrifice is enough for those innocent children. And I'm not saying out of my thingy entirely, out of just out of my brain. I'll give you a verse from the Old Testament. And this happened to David. David sinned, and we know what it is. He took a wife, a woman that wasn't his wife, and he had a child. The child was born, and it says the Lord was displeased. Now, let me read for what it says. David saw this affliction and mourned after the child till it died. And uh, from 2 Samuel 12, 21 to 23. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? 
you have fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? He says, no, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So even David, obviously, he knows of the Holy Spirit because we see verses of him writing the um, uh, Psalms of him being, he's getting the revelation of who, who Jesus is. He says, the Lord said to my Lord. So we know this. So in his troubled spirit, even though he knows he has sinned, he's gone to the Lord and he's, he's prayed, he's fasted. And, you know, they tear their clothes, they, they uh, wear sack clothing. That's so awesome. he's done all that. And then when his child dies, he stops because he knows, OK, now my child's with the Lord. I'd hoped I had prayed that my sin wouldn't impact the child being born. But now I know that the Lord answer. I'm not going to pray anymore because I'm going to see him one day. And this Amen. is before the Lord sent the Holy Spirit or the, uh, God sent Jesus for salvation. My point of original sin and needing of baptism. There is no clear verse. We will touch for other verses in, in a minute that says children need to be baptized. And there is no verse that says that because of the original sin and so that people, children don't lose their salvation, they need to get baptized but this day or this hour or this year and it's very clear yeah just to jump in you've said children a lot and i wanted us to focus on the word infant because children yeah. can get baptized it's infants that yeah, we're sorry I, I meant infant yes 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 yeah, yeah. infants okay and uh, just to uh, get on build up on the evidence that you've mounted uh, i would go to jeremiah in the book of jeremiah where uh, the israelites uh, they were sinning against God and the final sin that they committed, uh, the sin that God basically said, now, from this point onwards, I am not going to do anything else for you. I'm going to let Babylon come and conquer you. And the sin that they were doing was they were offering their babies, their uh, sons and daughters onto Molech, which was the God of fertility, quote unquote. And then uh, God was accusing the Israelites, saying, you are doing things that not even the people around you, the pagans that live around you, dare to do. Mm. Those are the things that you're doing. And so I'm going to send Babylon, not because Babylon's any better than you are, yes. not because mm. Babylon is amazing and they're, you know, they have a very high moralistic thread on uh, killing babies, not because of that, but because you're doing disgusting things. And I'm going to send Babylon and I'm going to punish you. That is the God that we are talking about. That God who had such care for those babies, mm. why would he now suddenly say, oh, yeah, if you don't baptize these babies by whatever day, they're going to hell. It doesn't make sense. It isn't logical. So the original sin argument, yes, we are born in original sin. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is a time when we come to a realization of our sin and we, we either deny it and we say, oh, actually, no, we're not sinners. We're fine. Or suppress we say, actually, it. yeah, we, we suppress it. Or we say, you know what? We need God. And if something happens to the child before that, God is a good God. We see that through scripture. We know what he will do. And it's implied in scripture. It's not explicitly said, but at least it's implied in scripture what he will do. Hey guys, sorry to jump in here and uh, jump into the conversation in essence that you're listening to. But I'd remembered something following the uh, recording of that episode. And uh, again, it's to show what kind of God it is that we serve. And it's by looking at the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Uh, to those of you who don't know, Hagar is Abraham's uh, maidservant and has a child with him called Ishmael. And uh, Sarah has a child with Abraham. Uh, Sarah being Abraham's wife has a child called Isaac. And um, Sarah eventually wants Hagar and Ishmael out of the house and Abraham's really sad about this but God says to Abraham do as your wife says and so Abraham kicks out Hagar and Ishmael away from the house and we see the story in uh, Genesis 21 and Hagar and Ishmael they're in the desert 
they've been kicked out of the house. Uh, no provisions, no uh, food, no water, uh, nearing the brink of death. And Hagar leaves Ishmael, who's a toddler at this point, uh, away from herself uh, because she doesn't really want to hear the baby die or even cry at this point. Uh, and the baby is continuously crying and crying and crying and Hagar's moved away. Now, before I get into what happens next, uh, what I want to let you know is, if you don't know, is that Isaac, Abraham's child through Sarah, uh, is the father of Israel, the nation of Israel. And Ishmael uh, becomes the father of uh, Arabs. So that's the history that turns out that comes out of Abraham's lineage. So as we know, the Arabs and Israelites have been at war with each other uh, throughout the whole of history. And so uh, now going back to that story where Hagar and Ishmael are, uh, Ishmael's near to the point of death and so is Hagar. And God shows mercy to Hagar and Ishmael. In fact, opens up and uh, well, helps Hagar see a well, uh, which Hagar uses to feed uh, and provide for her baby Ishmael. And Ishmael, of course, grows and becomes the father of the modern-day Arabs. Now, this is why I think I want to point out, this is, this is why I wanted to bring up the story, because God is omniscient. And he knew that Ishmael would grow up to be the father of Arabs, and that nation uh, would be against his chosen people of Israel, who were the sons of Isaac. Even though he knew that was going to happen, he still was so good, he still was so merciful to Ishmael and Hagar, and allowed them to survive beyond that point, knowing full well what was going to happen as a consequence of his mercy. And yet God was still merciful to, to, to Ishmael, baby Ishmael at that point. And so that is the God that we serve, folks. A God who isn't going to send babies from Muslim families and Hindu families and other families who don't know uh, Christ to hell. That is not the God we serve. So we can take great comfort, we can take great knowledge in knowing that that is the God that we serve, that is the God that we love. That he looks at these babies and he's willing to save them because they are not of age. They don't know the difference between good and evil. Those are my thoughts and I hope you can return and enjoy the remainder of our conversation. So, uh, Kevin, I've got a question for you. Um, there's obviously the verse in the Bible where it says, you know, before Jacob and Esau were there, even in their mother's womb, Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. What would you say to you know parents who are worried about that? Well, my answer to that would be that to that verse where God says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, God knew what Esau and Jacob were going to turn out like. Right? Yep. So it wasn't the case that he killed Esau. As soon as he knew that Esau was going to be evil, he killed Esau in the womb. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. right? So God knows that and God knows what's going to happen in the future. And so... He knew that that would happen, and so he hated Esau, and he loved Jacob, and he knew how everything was going to turn up. We don't see that for the other babies in the womb. In fact, with David, with what Moment just said, with David's baby, David says, uh, he won't come to me, but I will go to him. Okay, that's Amen. what David says. So we, we can see that there is a clear distinction between that. Okay, thank you for the question, Edwin. Anyway, uh, next question for you. Some people will say, and I had this when I was at Christian Union, would invite uh, non-Pentecostal Malayali Christians to come to uh, Christian Union. And they would come, it was quite charismatic for them, and they would say things along the lines of, well, I don't really feel like coming to Christian Union because my parents worship this certain way. Okay, and so I want to stick with a certain way. And similar for baptism. Some people would say, well, our church fathers did this, mm. yeah. Uh, if it was good enough for them, uh, it's good enough for us. How would you respond to that? Well, I would say basically that argument uh, about since the er early church fathers supported this practice of infant baptism, 
and the reformers basically I'm assuming they would argue that Martin Luther, you know, believed in that. Abraham Malpan believed and supported it. So therefore, it's okay to practice it. Uh, I don't think that's a great argument because there are lots of parts in history where the church fathers have gotten it wrong. I mean, the whole point of Martin Luther and Abraham Malpan reforming was they knew their church, early church fathers, didn't see that there needed, there needed to be reformation. So traditions and practices based on history and not scripture it's not an evidence for the practice to be continued. Um, mm. I mean, there are practices that have been carried out in the past that might serve a purpose at that time period, but it might not serve that same purpose right now. And there also might have been new information, you know, found in scriptures right now that shows that those practices, or, well, the practices the church, early church fathers did, uh, does not line up with scripture. And so it has to be reformed. That's the whole point of being transformed. You know, uh, that's what Romans 12, 2 says, do not confirm to the pattern of this world, or traditions of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And that's only, that can only occur through scripture. And at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, well, is it what the early church fathers are holding up? You know, am I holding up what they're saying? Or am I holding up what God says to be greater? What are we holding up? Scripture or what the early church father says? Now, these are men of women who have been used by God. Yes, I agree. They were, what they did was right in parts of their reformation, but they shouldn't be placed above what God has spoken in the scripture. And the revelation of scripture should be higher than what the early church fathers have said. Okay, thank you, Edwin. Thank you for that uh, answer. This was another message I got from uh, one of our listeners. And this is one of the points that they raised, and I'll respond to this myself. This is what he said. Baptism is an external sign of covenant that God makes with the church. By baptism, we are setting a sign to heaven and earth and hell that the Lord indeed is our God and we are his and so are the children given to us. By baptism, we are declaring that our children too are in the covenant, else they're unbelievers outside the covenant. Now, not everyone circumcised entered Canaan. Likewise, not everyone in the covenant may enter heaven. Through baptism, we are giving our children a foothold to realize their calling and listen to God when he calls them. While we do not know if they're elect, we do it in faith that God in his mercy to us may find them elect. Baptism so eclipses renewal birth and covenant membership. Okay, so that's what he said. This is that was quite a long-winded message, uh, and I thank the person for who sent that message. The argument there is the idea that baptism is an initiation into the fold of God. Okay, it's they're equating it to circumcision. So, and I would say that this is the strongest argument you would find you will find for infant baptism, and one of the reasons why it is so strong is because this argument uses a lot of inferences from mm. scriptures around the bible to make its case and so it's complex and so you kind of have to pay close attention to to counter it okay okay can i interject you kevin one point um i've just had this thought now i had this thought before once or twice one of the other things that obviously christians believe is um the lord's table um the lord told his disciples to um, have the bread and the wine in remembrance of him uh, till you know they meet him again um, he never said what age or um, at that point now obviously we believe that believers need to have that i'm surprised these people who are baptizing children don't give the wine and bread to the babies clearly they can have wine or we don't do actual wine now, but obviously, uh, or with juice, but, uh, uh I can, I can counter that. Well, Martha, my church doesn't, but the Lutheran churches do. They blend, oh. they blend the bread and the wine together and they gave it to babies as soon as they're baptized. So different denominations oh, okay. do it. The our no, Martha, my church obviously doesn't do it. For Martha, who don't practice it, but they're like, yeah, obviously absolutely. God said, yeah. But technically if they're baptized as the rest of the communities then they should be given which is what the lutheran church does they do they blend yeah. it into a baby blender and they give it okay so why wait for the first holy communion for these children to come forward yeah. and say you know 
doesn't make any sense. Good, good point, good point. Anyway, let's get to this now. It's so coming back to baptism and circumcision. So uh, the point that these people who say the baptism is like circumcision, they're trying to make is that baptism is nothing but an initiation into the covenant community of God. Just like circumcision initiated a baby into the Israeli community in the Old Testament, baptism initiates you into the church community in the New Testament. Uh, the verse that is used to illustrate this point is in Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 to 12. In him, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made with our hands by putting off the body of the sins of flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism. Now, because circumcision and baptism there is found together, they're saying, well, actually, you can see it's interchangeable. Uh, some mm. infant baptizers then make this link. They now are saying, well, because circumcision was only given to infants back then, now we can do this baptism to infants as well back then you, if you were born into an israelite family you were circumcised and uh, now if you're born into a christian family uh, you are baptized uh, so that's the basis of the argument they then take this uh, quote unquote understanding uh, from this verse and then they transfer it to peter's sermon uh, after the after i mean on the day of pentecost acts chapter 2 verses 38 to 39 Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And what they say is, well, circumcision is similar to baptism. And then here, Peter is saying, well, he's saying you and your children, therefore, we can now uh, baptize your children. That's it. That is the strongest argument for baptism. And when I was part of the Martima Church, folks, uh, I researched it. I really tried my best. Okay, I didn't want to leave the Martima Church. I wanted to stay there. I had great friends, a great fellowship. I had every. I was digging and digging and digging into this to try and find it. I looked at YouTube videos. I looked at sermons. I looked at different documentation. Uh, all of it. And now nearly uh, 10 years later, I'm here. So the point I'm trying to make it is, whenever you hear this argument that baptism replaces circumcision, there's only one question you need to ask. Where does it say it? Where does it say in scripture that baptism replaces circumcision? Uh, for example, there were hundreds of Christian Jews in the church who wanted the Greeks to be circumcised. Okay, there was this huge argument in the early church. And when we talk about early church, we mean the first century church. The disciples were split on this on this matter. There was a lot of tension. Um, mm -hmm. And Peter, the, the Christian Jews at that point weren't sure. Uh, Peter and Paul had a bit of a disagreement on this, on how things were being sorted. Uh, now, Paul, to end all of these arguments, right? To end all of this discussion between circumcision and baptism, between the Christian Jews and the Gentile Christians could have said, hey, guys, you know what? These guys don't need to be circumcised anymore because they've been baptized. All the circumcision you were doing, don't have to worry about it anymore. They're being baptized. It's the same thing. We don't see it at all. In fact, let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, and Galatians 2, 1 to 5, where Paul talks about circumcision clearly. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 to 3. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Paul is writing to the Galatians. They're not even Jews. Okay, he's writing to Galatians saying, this is what you will do. If you circumcise yourself, you need to obey the rest of the law as well. And then he goes on to say in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach amongst the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. 
This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here he was here. Here Paul is saying there are some evil people. There are some people who want everyone to be circumcised, who are trying to get the Gentiles to be circumcised as well. And again, Paul could have made things so easy for everyone. He could have easily said, folks, stop worrying about circumcision. Baptism replaces it. Uh, Paul doesn't mention it, and none of the early apostles do it in their letters either. If it was the case that God had intended baptism to be a replacement of circumcision, then it would have been stated so in the scripture. So, uh, the argument that baptism replaces circumcision is not a valid argument and it's not stated as such in the scripture. And now, just a simple point, okay? Just for you guys, to, for it to go in your minds and let, let, it, let it fester in there. Another point why circumcision and baptism are not equal to each other. In Israel, only the baby boys got circumcised for obvious reasons. The girls didn't. So if baptism truly replaces circumcision, then why are we baptizing infant girls? We should only be baptizing the boys. Okay. Uh, therefore, Kevin, come on, you know the answer to that. They're being more inclusive. <laughs> okay. Therefore, this argument doesn't hold any water. Pun intended. So the next argument is one of the most prominent arguments I heard when I was at the Martima Church for infant baptism. Uh, it's not the strongest one, but one of the most prominent one. And it was the idea about household baptisms. Well, we see in the book of Acts that lots of households got baptized together. Lydia's household, the jailer's household. Uh, the argument, well, you don't know if there were infants in those households. There could have been infants in those households who, who got baptized. So how would you counter that, Mervyn Guys, this is a terrible argument. Uh, just from like basic philosophy, it's called argument of innocence. Let, let me uh, quote you something. Um, you can't prove that there aren't Martians living in caves under the surface of Mars. So reasonable for me to assume and believe that there are. Um, that's a terrible argument, guys. You can't. There's another one, another one that says. You can't prove that there isn't a mirror, a universe of our own. So it must be out there somewhere or a different universe out there. It's terrible because it's arguing from ignorance. You can't pull something in a verse or in a context or pull something out that isn't there. But this is just logical reasoning. But let's go to the word. Yeah. In the Old Testament, if the old uh, the head of the household converted to Judaism, all the males in the house, even the infants, were circumcised. Now, some infants Baptists argue this pattern continues into the New Testament. References made, for example, to baptizing a person and the whole household in the household of Lydia, Crispus, and Stephanus were mentioned by name. In Acts 16, 14 to 15, 18, uh, Acts 18, uh, verse 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. The Baptist challenge asked on this point, why would a whole household be baptized just because the head of the house had faith? Shouldn't they baptize each member of the family as they come into individual faith? Household baptism implies that the rules for membership in Abraham's government have continued into the New Testament. The main difference is the sign of the covenant. That's it. Now, this is a good point. In fact, it's a very good point. However, just like very much like infant baptism, the infant baptism point, it is only a good point, on point until you actually read the scripture. Let us look at... Uh, 1 Corinthians 15-16, Acts 16-31-33, and Acts 11-40. Now, 1 Corinthians 15-16. Um, you know the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. 
So here, baptism isn't even mentioned. And furthermore, the verse is talking about converts, people who converted from the old self into the new Christian life. Not only did they do that, they also submitted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. The first counter-argument for this verse is, if you're assuming that there were infants here, then how do they convert? There is no mention of infant converts in the Bible, converts in the Bible. And let's just assume that they did some how convert. How did they submit themselves to the service of the Lord's people? That is impossible for an infant to do. So this is a ludicrous argument for baptizing infants. Okay, so the next one. Acts 16, 31 to 33. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse 32. Then they spoke to the word of the uh, spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour, then at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. They immediately he and all his household were baptized. This is another words they used for used by infant baptisms. Ah, uh, you see, he's speaking to the jailer and saying, "Believe in the Lord, and you will be saved." Not only you, but your household will be saved with your belief. Therefore, there must have been infants in the house who couldn't believe, and the jailer's faith itself was necessary. Again, this is a silly argument. I've said it to you before. Um, argument from ignorance. Um, conveniently left out the next verse. The next verse says that they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and all the others in the house, and only after that did the whole household be baptized. This is an example of the New Testament showing how someone gets baptized. They had to hear the word of the God, the word of God, repent, and then be baptized. And next, we'll see Cornelius. The Cornelius household, it says in Acts eleven fourteen. Here in this verse, Peter is recounting the events to the Jewish Christians about Cornelius. And so we have to look at the previous chapter, Acts 10, 44-48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then Peter, then they, they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Again, it is the same method we see here. The whole household, as mentioned in Acts 11, can be seen to hear having the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues after listening to Peter's message. And Peter then orders that these individuals be baptized. So the example that is set in scripture, repent, have faith, which is granted through the Holy Spirit, and then be baptized. Now, I'd also like to look at one verse uh, where belief of the whole household is not explicitly stated. Let us turn to Acts 16, 13 to 15. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had been gathered there. One of them listening was a woman from the city of Theatra named Lydia. A dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. As you can see here, it isn't explicit that the household believed, but using this verse to claim that all households can be baptized because one person is inaccurate. As other words are explicit on the, on the method that is required for the baptism to take place, it is required that all members of the household had to believe.
and only then were they baptized. Kevin, I have a question for you. Now, Lydia was a woman, and I don't know if she was considered at that time head of the household, and therefore, could that argument be something that the uh, infant baptizers used against um, this verse? I mean, Lydia was a woman, but of course she wasn't Jewish. So maybe, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say that because even in Roman culture at that time, Greek or Roman culture at that time, women weren't held in that high position. Mm. But here it's clear to see that she was a businesswoman as well. She sold stuff. So she probably had a high position. And mm. the fact that they haven't even mentioned a husband might be the fact that she doesn't have a husband. Either the husband's mm. dead and so she has to go out. And so by that logic, she could be the head of the household as well. Mm. And, but again, we are being honest here. We are saying that it isn't explicit that the whole household be believed, but we can't just use that one verse and say, oh, this must be okay. Then we've got to look at the whole picture. Jesus said in the commandment, in the great commission, making disciples and then baptizing them, right? Here we see in every single example, apart from this, every single example says they believed or they heard the word, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they baptized. So we can see those examples there. So thank you for that question, Mavincha. Okay. Okay. The next question to you, Edwin, is uh, another argument that infant baptizers use is they use this verse in First uh, Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 2. Now, what you'll realize, folks, is to make the arguments for infant baptism you really have to search the scripture for it okay to make the arguments for it to make the arguments for believers baptism it's quite easy just read the bible okay this is another verse that's used by infant baptizers so the argument they're making is did the parents when they were going through the river leave the children behind leave the infants behind well of course they didn't they took them with them so therefore now and we see Paul equating that to baptism. So they're saying, well, now we can use baptism for infants as well, because we can see it happen in the Old Testament. How would you counter that? Yeah, well, this is a perfect example of why context matters, because Paul here is actually warning uh, the people of a certain church in Corinth uh, that their behavior um, is not right, because he's basically trying to say he's using the Israelites as an example of that they were baptized onto Moses, but they still didn't enter canon. So he's using this an analogy rather to um, warn the people in, in that church. Uh, the important thing here is this is a different baptism. You know, we're specifically looking at the baptism onto Moses or into Moses. Um, for example, there's also another baptism in Acts 19, verse 2 to 5, where we see there are people who have been baptized into John. And this is said to be a baptism into uh, a baptism of repentance. Um, they were also called to be baptized into Jesus Christ. See, there's two baptisms here. And this is th therefore the baptism of Moses being pointed out and shown uh, or zoomed and magnified into is kind of irrelevant as an argument to be brought up. We're going, well, let's take this argument. Okay, people of and the children were taken into the Red Sea and across, goes across it, uh, but they weren't baptized, really. You know, the baptism that's shown in the Bible it talks about, you know, submersion and being raised out of the water. The, the children here or the whole, whole people there weren't really submerged into water. They were actually walking on dry ground. So again, it doesn't really uh, make a sound argument. Right. And in fact, in, the, in that baptism, like you said, they, they're going to dry ground. They didn't get wet, technically. So if that's the argument that you're making, well, the babies went through. And as a result, you know, uh, even we, we can baptize infants now. Well, then there's no need to use water at all. Because mm. in, the, in the Red Sea, the miracle was they went through the dry ground. They didn't get wet. If we are used, if you're equating it, then we don't need to use water now in the New Testament baptism, which, of course, would it make sense? All right, folks, do you, do you have anything else to say, both of you, on baptism? That's about it. Folks, um, obviously, we've given, we've bombarded with a lot of uh, arguments, a lot of uh, scriptural verse and stuff. Um, like we said in the previous section, 
and the previous podcast, uh, we're not uh, trying to persuade you to um, get baptized. Our job is just to produce what the scripture is saying and what made us leave the church. And this is a quite a contentious point for us. Um, we as a family um, could not. Um, I remember uh, one point, uh, one of the meetings when uh, my mom wasn't there. It was just uh, Kevin, me, Papa and Edwin. And uh, we'd uh, left the church and that even not church, the um, prayer meeting as a Monday prayer meeting we used to attend. And that the pastor was speaking of baptism. I remember we left it. We were still like quite in the Mathama church. We'd left it. And after the uh, uh, session had finished and we were walking towards the car, we were laughing because the, that pastor, I think he knew we weren't Snanapata, uh, uh, as you would say the word in my arm. Um, uh, but so he was raising the point and we were all laughing and we went to the car because we were like, even... I, I couldn't think I couldn't say what Kevin Edwin or Papa is thinking, but I was thinking in my mind, there's no way I'm getting baptized. But that's because I didn't at that point understand or go through the scriptures to understand what it was saying to me at that point, you know. So it's just the same argument that we are doing in terms of presenting it to you. We, we in these both uh, podcasts, we are telling you what what how the word of God impacted our lives and what it <clears throat> made us do in terms of leaving the church because the doctrines that the church taught or believed or um, practiced it didn't sit right with what we thought the church should be doing um, obviously we're not going to change it what you say church says we haven't got the influence of Abraham Malpan uh, so and we have not that status either so uh, this is where the Lord led us and so we left as a family and this is the only thing we could do and uh, but yeah if at any if uh, if at all you hear and uh, listen to anything of the uh, points that we make today, just uh, it's all we have to say is basically look at the scripture, ask the Lord what it is that um, the scripture is uh, telling you, and uh, obey the word of God because uh, Jesus says, if you are my friends, you will obey um, my commands. So. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Uh, I just want to add to what Mohammed just said. I still remember that meeting being there, the four of us there. And when I left the meeting, I can speak what was going on in my mind. I was 50-50 at that point. I wasn't 100% I'm not getting baptized. I was 50-50 at that point. I was like, I need to look at scripture and make sure that it is what it says. Because that was like, like I said, it was like something coming and whacking you on your head. And you're like, whoa, I need to go and study this for myself. And moment you rightly said, we don't think that even one person is going to listen to this and decide to get baptized. I don't think that's going to happen. But nevertheless, we still have to say the truth. And moment you keep saying, I believe, we believe. No, this is what the Bible is saying. We are, I'm, we are telling you, a moment is being humble, but I'm, I'm not that humble. We are telling you what the Bible is saying. Okay. We're not making an argument from inference. We're not making an argument from ignorance. We are telling you what the scripture says. Okay. And the question you've got to do now, folks, is either be obedient to the word, which is what Jesus has given us, or if you can't, uh, be obedient to your church. That's, those are the two options. I can't see another option. Edwin, you were going to say something? So for me, I would say, unlike you both, I didn't have my own thought processes of, uh, until a later stage of, you know, oh, the scriptures just standing out to me. I also had questions, especially when, uh, like that final youth camp, I had my friend Jay, and we were talking about all of the baptism, and he came up with that household argument, then Acts 16.31. I was stumped, you know, and in my head, what was going through is, you know, oh, maybe Jay's correct, you know. And so, however, rather than just accepting what my friend told me, I went back to actually choose. I had to choose. Listen, am I just going to listen to people? Am I going to read what scripture says? I actually went to Subincha and took another point of view. I looked at all the points of view and then I made the decision. I went to Subincha. He explained to me, listen, just because a household uh, 
believed that uh, uh, basically what Jay was saying was the saving faith of the father saved the child. But Sivan just said, you know, baptism doesn't save. Baptism is just an act. He's just reminding me. So, yeah, then what I'm trying to say is to the people listening, the decision is down to you. You can ignore this whole podcast or you can go back to the scripture and read it for yourself is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I want to end on this note by saying that, uh, especially to the brothers and sisters in the Matama Church who are listening, there are people in the Matama Church that have been baptized, that believe in believers' baptism, but they still remain in the church. Now, for me, that was out of the question. I couldn't, and I'm sure it was the same for my brothers and my parents, there was no way that I could remain in the church having been baptized and then go and take communion with people who I don't agree with. Okay, I still remember the story from Sharjah Matama Church where a lot of the elders in the church did get baptized and the Thinamani came to the church and made a statement and said, if you have been baptized, you can't remain in the church. You will basically be excommunicated. And these people denied taking baptism because they chose, they would rather choose a community within the Martima church over the knowledge and uh, the knowledge of the fullness of Christ. So there are people like that in the church. So uh, that's one group of people. The other group of people are people who realize that this is the truth. Yeah. And yet they just want to deny it. They don't want to take that step because again, it's a loss of fellowship and friendship and all of that that comes to it. And uh, final point is we're not doing this to take shots at people. We're just making people aware, making you guys aware that these are how things, these are the reasons why we left the church. And what we want to provide for you is all the information, all the knowledge of baptism so that you can come to a conclusion yourself. And hopefully you will come to the conclusion that we came to. Okay, I'm not uh, again. This is not an episode for where we're giving you both sides. I am definitely saying this is the right way, and this is the only conclusion you can come to. Okay, I'm being quite honest with you guys. And on that note, this is the last episode of season two. Season two, episode ten is the last episode, and I'd like to thank my brothers Edwin and Mervyn Shah for being with us this uh, fine evening time. Yeah, I would just uh, like to say thank you for having me. Uh, Kevin, you still haven't paid me for the first episode, so I'm still waiting on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, guys. It's been fun uh, and it's been uh, a blessing. Hopefully, we can do something like this in the future. Uh, but always glad to return at some point. All right. Thank you, folks. And I hope you've been water to water. All right. Ciao.